Today, we're beginning a three-week series on the biblical theme of justice. Similar to what we did in our previous series, which was the Day of the Lord, where we're tracing that theme throughout Scripture, we're going to do the same thing, but this time look, through the, look at the biblical story through the lens of justice. Uh, the reality is that justice has been a hot topic in culture over the last few months, uh, and it's also been a growing concern in the church and for Christians over the past few years. Uh, as the church has uh, wrestled more and more with the social implications of the gospel. Uh, and I want to say that as your pastor, I think this is a good thing. I think our new awakening or our new awareness of justice, the need for justice, uh, opening our eyes to injustice that is in the world, I think this is a good thing. Uh, and so for the next three weeks, we're going to plug into that discussion uh, to try to understand the Bible's vision of justice. Uh, how Jesus understood and then embodied justice, and what relationship justice has for forgiveness. Those will be our three weeks. The biblical vision of justice, how Jesus practiced and embodied justice, and then what is the relationship between forgiveness and justice, and, and really picking up on some of the themes from our forgiveness series uh, early the, that we did early in this calendar year. Uh, so I, I want to encourage you, uh, if any of these things are of interest to you, I want to encourage you to consider inviting a friend to join you. Uh, we don't do this often, but I do want to say word of mouth is the best advertising and marketing that a church can get. And so if you love your church and you think these conversations are important, uh, then I encourage you to invite a friend uh, to join you, and we would love to have them. Uh, so what is justice? Let's just begin kind of thinking about how we tend to understand justice. Uh, the reality is, is that justice, um, uh, our ideas of justice, our preconceived notions of justice are, are largely based on entertainment media and the modern court system. Uh, these are the two areas where we tend to hear about justice the most and therefore are receiving our information about justice uh, the most. And the, the reality is that in a lot of entertainment media, justice is equated with revenge. There are many movies and TV shows uh, where the primary plot line is a disgruntled main character who's carrying out justice, or in this case, revenge, for themselves when, after the courts have failed them. Uh, so the court did not bring the justice that I deserved, and so I need to get it into my own hands and, and carry that out on my own. Uh, and while these characters uh, seek justice, they are seeking justice by seeking revenge, uh, and so they dole out harm that is equal or greater than the offense that has been done to them or their loved ones. And the truth is, let's just be honest, this makes for great entertainment, <laughs> right? I mean, these are, these are exciting and fun shows to watch, uh, but they don't, aren't very helpful in, in really helping us to understand the biblical vision of justice. Uh, and then the court system, the court system is designed to carry out justice according to the law. This is a good thing. We need courts and we need laws. Uh, and so the court system is really based on if you commit a crime, then the court decides the punishment that is necessary uh, based on the severity of that crime. Uh, now generally and overwhelmingly, when we are presented with the idea of justice in entertainment media or the court system, we are presented with what is called retributive justice. And retributive justice says this, a crime has been done, so what punishment is necessary to pay for the crime? Uh, that is retributive justice in a nutshell. It says a crime has been done, and so what punishment is necessary for you to pay for that crime? 
Uh, and and let's, uh, let's be honest, also, this is not always easy. Like, this is very easily stated. It seems very straightforward. Uh, but even carrying out this brand or this flavor of justice is not easy or straightforward. In fact, justice can be a very slippery thing. Uh, think about... Uh, some, of the own, some of your own disputes uh, that maybe you have when you have had when you are seeking justice. The reality is, is that justice can very easily be reduced to getting our own way. Um, in other words, it's easy to define justice as the outcome that will favor us. Let me give you an example. Uh, let's say there's a dispute between two neighbors uh, about the location of the property line uh, because they're building a fence right on the property line and there's a dispute about where this fence should go and where the exact property line is. Now they try to solve it, they try to work it out uh, amongst themselves, but uh, the conflict escalates and so they go to the courts, counting on the court to carry out justice and make it right. Now the first neighbor believes justice will be carried out if the court rules in his favor, right? And then the second neighbor ironically feels exactly the same way, justice will only be carried out if the court rules in her favor. But what if, after looking at all the facts of the case, the court decides to return the land to the native tribe from which it was stolen generations ago? Right? (laughs) Justice is a slippery thing. You see what I'm saying, right? And oftentimes, it's either justice is, is reduced to getting our own way, an outcome that is favorable to me, that's justice, or justice is carried out in retributive ways, what crime has been committed and what payment is necessary for you uh, or what punishment is necessary for you to pay for the crime. And so the reality, so when we get these views of justice into our hearts and minds from entertainment media and the court system, what we tend to do is we, when we read the scriptures, we read that view of justice back into the scripture. But the question we have to ask is, is this the Bible's view of justice? And the truth is, that is a gigantic question <laughs> that we are going to spend the next three weeks wrestling with and trying to get some answers Uh, But if we're going to understand the Bible's vision of justice, we must begin in the beginning. Uh, So I want to read to you Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I'll be referencing a number of scriptures today, uh, none of which will be on the screen. I just invite you to hear them. Uh, But this will serve as kind of our main text, uh, and after which I'll say this is the Word of God for the people of God, and I invite you to respond with thanks be to God. Uh, But in, in our understanding of justice, let's begin in the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, over all of the creatures that move along the ground. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, this verse is packed full of a number of things. I want to cu- point out a couple of things this morning. Uh, the first thing that we come across in this, in this verse is God saying, let us make mankind in our image. Uh, now, I won't deal with the Trinitarian nature of the plural pronoun today. Uh, I did that in my theology class yesterday. Uh, but let's, uh, let's just work with this, that this reality and this truth that humans are made in the image of God. 
And we could talk about a lot of different things that this means, but I want to point out one aspect of this. That what we see in the creation story is that God has authority over all of creation, even to the point that creation obeys the sound of his voice when he speaks. And yet the pinnacle of all of creation is human beings because they are unique. And for the, the reason they are unique is because we are made in his image. And then he commands these first humans to rule over the earth and subdue it. And a lot of times that's used as an excuse to exploit creation, but more true to the scripture and more true to, to what is happening in this narrative is that God is sharing his authority. The one who has authority over all of creation is now giving part of his authority away, sharing that authority with humanity so that they might be his image-bearing creation in creation. And he, so in other words, he's inviting them to participate in his Rule. Does this make sense? Part of what it means to bear the image of God is participate in ruling over creation with God. That we are then to, to rule over creation, to steward creation, to harness the power of the earth in a way that honors God, in a way that God would rule over creation itself. That we are co-rulers with him. That we steward creation in ways that honor him. In fact, I would say to you that this is actually God's divine calling on humanity to together rule over the earth by harnessing its power to bring about good to one another. In other words, it's like what, was a, what, what, what does Adam and Eve do first? They were in a garden. God asks them and invites them to rule, and so they begin by harnessing the power and managing that garden. They plant seeds, those things grow, they feed themselves, they multiply, they have children, that forms a family, the families turn into a neighborhoods, the neighborhoods turn into cities, and we, create, we are co-creators with God. That part of the beauty and the, the calling of humanity is to harness the earth's power for the good of one another. Does this make sense? In other words, there is movement and there is direction. There is a trajectory to the story even from the very beginning. Let me prove it to you. If you take sin out of the Scripture, you don't have the Bible, you have a pamphlet. But if you, want, if you read that pamphlet carefully, you will have Genesis 1 and 2. And then if you take sin out of the Bible, then you'll have to skip all the way to Revelation 21 and 22. And if you were to, to take sin out of the scripture, what you still have is movement from a garden to a city. There is still trajectory to the story of harnessing the earth's power for the good of one another. That is our divine calling in Christ. But here's the thing. This only works. This only works if each human understands that every other human is created equal before God and has the right to be treated with dignity and fairness. And so, so work is a holy endeavor because what is work except harnessing the power of creation for the good of another? That's work in its most pure and perfect form. And it is a good thing, it's a gift from God. But that work only becomes that as long as each human being is honoring the image of God in one another. And so all humans are created equal before God and therefore have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness. And I would say to you, this is God's standard of justice. This is God's standard of justice, that we are all image bearers of God. 
And so the biblical vision of justice begins with the reality that all of humanity is made in the image of God and an invitation for humans to see that image in one another as we rule over the world and harness its power for the good of others. And so any conversation about justice must begin here. All people are made in the image of God, including that person who doesn't like you, including that person that you don't like, (laughs) including those people who you don't agree with, right? Including that group that does terrible things, including that dude who has done some really stupid stuff. All of those people are made in the image of God and bear his image. Which means that on the most practical level, this means that for the Christian, it is never okay to refer to another human being in a way that dehumanizes them. And let's just, I mean, if we can't be honest in church, then we can't be honest anywhere. It is so easy when we are offended or oppressed or when we don't like someone or when they don't like us or when they have done something stupid or when we don't agree with them, it is so easy to strip them of their humanity. We want to reduce them or their character to their crime or their offense. Let me say that again. It's so easy to strip people of their humanity by reducing them or their character to their crime or their offense. So that their crime 100% defines the relationship. Or the other thing we tend to do is we tend to categorize people based on a whole set of assumptions, assumptions that are probably incorrect or at least misinformed. And so the Bible is clear that when we do that, though, we are doing injustice toward that person or group or, or, or group of people because we aren't honoring the, uh, the image of God that is in them. Does this make sense? Now, to be clear, sin mars the image of God in us, but all humans still bear the image of God, no matter how scarred that image may be, right? So honoring the image of God in someone is not saying that what they did is okay, or what they did is acceptable, or what they did is even good or godly, we can still call actions evil uh, while still maintaining that that person bears the image of God as it is marred by sin. In fact, one of the most helpful things in coming to a place of forgiveness and seeking reconciliation is to see the shared humanity of our offender. And we talked about that in the forgiveness series, but I think it's really important part that one of the best ways that we can get to a point where we're able to offer forgiveness or get to a point where we're able to seek reconciliation is to honor the humanity and see the shared humanity in our offender. And uh, listen, this is incredibly easy to say and incredibly difficult to do. Incredibly difficult to do. This is not easy in any stretch of the imagination. But the Bible is clear that if we don't see the shared humanity in people, when we don't do this, it is unjust. And injustice is all over our world, right? We don't have to look very far to see injustice. Injustice like taking advantage of those who have less power or exploiting those with less resources or beginning to like dehumanizing a group of people that we disagree with or seeing ourselves as being fundamentally better or more valuable than another group of people or person. And so that's the kind of the way the story begins. But as you move on in the story, what you begin to get a sense of is that the Bible is really, really, really concerned with justice. 
that this is a theme that comes up over and over and over again. In fact, justice appears over 400 times in the Old Testament alone. I mean, this is something that the scriptures are very, very concerned with. And let's learn some Hebrew this morning, shall we? Uh, this will be fun. The Hebrew word for, that we translate justice is the word mishpat. <laughs> it's pretty fun, huh? It's not like you don't have to get a cold to say that. You can just say mishpat. Uh, mishpat. Uh, is the Hebrew word that we translate justice. And it's a really interesting word. It actually refers to uh, uprightness uh, or a plumb line. Uh, and it's, it's a way of saying, essentially, the core meaning of mishpat is making sure everyone in the community is treated fairly as one who bears the image of God. The, the core meaning of mishpat is making sure that everyone in the community is treated fairly as one who bears the image of God. And as the Old Testament story is clear, it's as the Old Testament story is told, it's clear that God is deeply concerned about mishpat. But as the story goes on, what we realize is that God is most concerned about mishpat for the vulnerable. And there's, there's actually the, uh, what theologians have come to call the quartet of the vulnerable. Because over and over and over again in the biblical story, when, when talking about mishpat, there are four groups of vulnerable, pe- vulnerable people that are brought up again and again. And so theologians have called them the quartet of the vulnerable. And so what we realize is that God is most concerned and especially concerned about mishpat for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. In fact, here are just a few passages of Scripture that talk about mishpat in this way. Deuteronomy 24, 17, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. In that one verse alone, three out of the four are mentioned. Exodus 23, 6, Do not de- deny justice to the poor people in your midst in their lawsuits. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Psalm 146, verses 7 through 9, He upholds the cause of the oppressed, and He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless and the widow, and He frustrates the ways of the wicked. And so if you want to find, now the reality is, if you want to find retributive justice in the Bible, it's there. I'm not going to deny that or try to hide behind that at all. If you want retributive justice and that's what you want from God, then, then you have a Bible verse that can prove that to you. But overwhelmingly, the biblical image of justice, of mishpat, is that of restorative justice. And so there's retributive justice that says a crime has been committed, so what punishment is necessary to pay for the crime? And then there's restorative justice which says harm has been done. So what healing needs to take place in order to bring reconciliation? You see the difference? Retributive, a crime has been done. What punishment is necessary to pay for the crime? Restorative justice, harm has been done. What healing is necessary so that reconciliation can take place? 
And overwhelmingly, when talking about mishpat, the uprightness, the straightness, the plumb line for all people, what God is, especially the vulnerable, what God is talking about is restorative justice. That God has special concern for the, and, and the reason is this, God has special concern for justice for the vulnerable because is, is, it is the vulnerable who are having their image of God in them ignored or overlooked or oppressed or pushed out. And so it's like, why, is God most, why isn't God concerned about me, the most privileged of society? It's because no one is looking at me and not seeing the image of God, Right? People give me inherent value based on my income, based on the color of my skin, based on any number of categories, I am given value by society. But the vulnerable don't have that privilege. It's the image of God. The value is taken from them based on any number of things, right? I know this isn't easy to hear, but this needs to be said. And so, so value, image of Godness, is taken away from them, and God says, no, that cannot be. You cannot look at any human being and rob them of the image of God that I have created them with. And so God is most concerned for the vulnerable because it is the vulnerable in our society that have the image of God stripped from them. At least in our view, right? That's in our perspective. Their image of God is always there. It's our perspective that robs them of that. And so, the justice that see, so God is concerned with justice that seeks to help and to advocate for the vulnerable. Justice that makes sure everyone in the community is treated as an image bearer of the creator God. That's mishpat. Now, there's another fun word that I want to teach you this morning. Uh, because in the Hebrew language, uh, there, there's two words that are so closely related. Not in how they sound, but in concept that you can't talk about one without talking about the other. And it's what we tend to translate as the English word righteousness. And the Hebrew, here, the Hebrew word here is tzedakah. Justice and righteousness, mishpat and tzedakah, are deeply related terms. Now, if you're like me, when you hear righteousness, uh, you think of superior moral, morality, right? Or high personal piety. And so you look at someone and you say, I will never be as righteous as them, <laughs> right? And so righteousness, most often, as we hear it, is, is kind of superior morality, high personal piety. But the Hebrew word is actually pointing us to something different. Uh, the Hebrew word tzedakah, or righteousness, means treating each other with, dig with the dignity that they deserve as image bearers of God. And so, so mishpat, think of it this way, mishpat is the uprightness or the straightness for all in the community. And then tzedakah talks about that personal relationship. In other words, what, what, what mishpat and tzedakah show us together is that justice and righteousness are, are not philosophical ideas that exist in a vacuum. These are not philosophical ideas that exist in a vacuum, but rather they are deeply communal concepts that can only be carried out in relationship. That's what tzedakah is pointing us to, right relationship with one another, so that justice and righteousness can only be carried out in relationship or in community. You with me? And so justice is the restorative means by which all people have 
access to their rights. Righteousness is being in right relationship with one another and then treating each other with dignity as an image bearer. And the truth is, I, I just want today to lay the foundation. I want us to come away from today knowing this, that broadly speaking, the biblical vision of justice is one of restorative justice in which all people are given their rights as image bearers of God. And that the Bible has a a special concern for the widow, orphan, immigrant, and the poor. Which is to say, the Bible's vision of justice is quite different from most of what we get through entertainment media, and we should resist any temptation to read our understanding of justice into the biblical text, and rather take the biblical text and understand our concept of justice out of that. With me? And I think this understanding has a lot to say to the people of God. I've said this, I think, a few weeks ago, but just want to mention it again, that um, these are apocalyptic times in our culture. And uh, in case you think that that means a giant war is coming, the apocalypse, that's not, apocalypse means unveiling. Uh, these are unveiling times in our culture. We're, we're learning about things that uh, perhaps were under the surface for a long time, um, but now are out in the open. And uh, we have to kind of deal with those, some of those things. And we need to talk about those things around our dinner tables and in our life groups and, and wrestle with what it means to be the people of God in today's world. And I think a proper understanding of justice is central to that conversation. Um, uh, an understanding that, that justice has to begin with knowing that all people are made in the image of God and that they deserve to be treated with dignity and love as a result of that. And in some circles, this is scandalous, <laughs> right? The love of, and, and I would say, as it should be, because the love of God is scandalous. There's nothing easy, cute, or neatly packaged about the unwielding, uncontrollable, unstoppable, no-boundaries love of God. And, and it is scandalous. If we take the love of God seriously, it, it, it will scandalize each and every one of us, as it has scandalized me. <laughs> I stand before you as a preacher who used to be really comfortable with neat and tidy boxes and just really clean and, and easy answers. And as the Lord has worked on my life over the years and as I have come, become more aware of the love of God, it has scandalized me. And I think if we will take the love of God seriously, it will scandalize each one of us. So let us go from today recognizing the restorative justice of God and the love of God. I want to end with a quote from this excellent book uh, by author, theologian, Bishop uh, N.T. Wright. It's called Evil and the Justice of God. Uh, It's an excellent read. Uh, It's only 
Uh, it's not like some of his other works, which are uh, north of 1,500 pages. Uh, this one is just a little pamphlet of 165 pages. Uh, so I think it's uh, pretty accessible. It says this. God's justice is not simply a blind dispensing of rewards for the virtuous and punishments for the wicked. God's justice is a saving, healing, restorative justice. Because the God to whom justice belongs is the Creator God, who has yet to complete His original plan for creation, and whose justice is designed not simply to restore balance to a world that is out of kilter, but to bring to glorious completion and fruition the creation that is teeming with life and possibility. That's good. God's justice is not rewarding the virtuous, punishing the wicked. It's, that may be part of it, but that's simply not all of it. God's is a saving, healing, restorative justice. And my hope is that in our hearts, we as a people of God can say amen. Not, I don't know about that. Right? but that our hearts would be softened to the point that we could be able to say amen and amen for God's saving, healing, justice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today perhaps confessing that maybe more often than not what we are drawn to, what we want, is retributive justice. But God, help us to know today that your heart, revealed in Jesus Christ, is for restorative justice, justice that seeks to heal and to save and to reconcile, justice that is perfectly embodied and carried out in Jesus who reconciled us to himself by way of the cross. For God, all of us have done injustice against you through sin, and yet you have met us with love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and reconciled us to yourself. So God, we give you thanks and we pray that you would allow the image of God that is in us to shine brighter and brighter as we walk with you. Lord, help us in these endeavors and in this practice of faith that we might truly be your image bearers in the world, that people would look at us personally, that people would look at us collectively, and they might see the image of God, that we might bear witness to your reign and to your rule in the world. Lord, by your Spirit, would you help us in all these things? Would you offer us grace when we don't do it perfectly? We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.